I don't know about you, but parenting isn't what I thought it would be. It's way more guilt, anxiety, and chocolate than I ever imagined. I'm so happy and proud of the family we've built, but at other times, I feel like I've lost myself along the way. Parents are human too. You may be one of us absently wandering the aisles of a hardware store pondering, what is this thing called parenting? Welcome, and we're so glad to share this brief part of our journey with you. We're a group of parents and professionals acknowledging all Coast Salish people on whose traditional and unceded territory we live, we learn, we play, and podcast. We'd also like to recognize Fraser House Society, our partner in making this thing called parenting possible. Today we have our whole team with us, Lee, Ashley, Kathleen, and I, plus special guest Chad Oatway, here to discuss... Why do I have to pay my kid to do stuff? Part one of two on motivation. Let's get at it. So today we're talking about why do I have to pay my kid to do stuff? A little conversation about motivation. And we have a great guest speaker today. We have Chad Oatway with us. Hi, Chad. Hi, how is everybody? Thanks for having me. Chad and I talk all the time about motivation and Chad comes from a real coaching background and, and an athletic background. And I really enjoy his perspective and he gives me lots of ideas to chew on. So, so that's why we kind of wanted to invite him in into the conversation today. Essentially, uh, right now, currently I'm, I'm a teacher. I also do have done and still do a lot of coaching and, you know, motivation is a big part of what I do. And Obviously, teaching kids to do that is kind of why I'm in the business of education and coaching to to that degree, because I think it brings a lot into kids' lives and ultimately leads them to to achieve things that they want to achieve in their future. Um, Karen and I kind of started working together because we started realizing how much connection we had between her work as a drug and alcohol counselor and my work as a teacher and we realized that what we were doing was pretty much the same thing it was just coming at it from a slightly different angle and you know we found a lot of really great connections in the work we were doing and how it kind of overlapped to kind of get into this model of 3e health which uh, as people might be aware it kind of really works on the you know the social aspect of development the emotional aspect of development and the physical act aspect of development. Shameless plug for us. The number three, the letter E, health.org. 3E Health is socially, emotionally, and physically empowering health through connected experiences. It's basically a roadmap through which users can engage in holistic, self-directed assessment and resiliency planning of personal and family wellness. And how that plays into motivation is really important in young people's lives is that development in those areas kind of can really make kids feel whole with what they're doing. I know Karen and I have had a lot of great discussions because I look at motivation and, you know, as more of a skill that we have to develop in young people. And I think that's what I'm trying to do as a teacher and educator as well as how do we develop those life processes? And it's not like a destination, it's a journey. And how do we get kids to really appreciate that journey when it comes to learning and, and learning about themselves. Um, one thing you were saying, Chad, is you said motivation is a skill. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think a lot of parents think their kids 
either have it or they don't, or people just have, they're motivated or they're not motivated. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of think I, I think most everything has the ability to be learned. You know, obviously most people might gravitate towards certain things because they might have more aptitude in a certain area. You know, if, if you have a guitar in your house, like Lee there in the background, you know, you're more likely to pick up an instrument and play a guitar and be a little maybe motivated for it because it's, it's something that's there and it's easier to do. If you don't have a ball in your house, are you going to play up, pick up a sport? But when we go back to motivation as a skill, I think really motivation can be learned and it it's like a muscle and we need to train it. We need to push it. We need to uh, foster it and get kids to believe in, in the motivations that they have and really teach it because it it is a skill and it needs practice. And partly I think my job as an educator is to make sure that, you know, students are practicing those skills, you know, it might be in one area, they might really have the motivation in math, they might not have the motivation in English, they might have the motivation in after school extracurricular sport, but they might not have it in school. But if they're actually being motivated to do something, I think eventually those skills, they might not cross over in grade six, seven or eight, but they might eventually start to cross over and apply to other areas of their lives. So making sure that they are motivated in certain areas and really fostering that as as parents and educators and mentors for these kids is really important because I would assume that we would eventually see that in other areas of the students lives so if my kid is not doing his math homework I shouldn't worry yet if he's super pumped to play basketball you know uh yes and no you know is he doing his math homework you know getting him to understand like what is the crossover skill with math and basketball and and not practicing basketball and then practicing uh, math yes there's differences but there is also a lot of similarity you know if you're going to be a a good three-point shooter you're going to have to shoot from the three-point line if you're going to be good at arithmetic you got to shoot through those boring math sheets and a lot of kids say that they really love basketball, but are they going out to the court by themselves and shooting hoops? They're only going to basketball practice. They're not, they're not doing in the backyard. They're not going out to the local park. So how motivated are they really ultimately when they say, I love basketball? Back in my day, we would take the snow shovel and we'd be shoveling the parking lot so we could actually still shoot hoops outside. That's, you know, in my mind, that's kind of internal motivation is you really got to love something to keep doing it but when you're loving something you're building those skills i really like that you said that when kids say they love something many times they say they love it they don't love it they like it there's many many things you like it doesn't mean you're motivated to do more than the bare minimum when somebody loves something that's when they're more motivated i work in the arts and work with children in the arts and like you say, if the kids that love it, I don't have to pound on them. Their parents don't have to hound them to practice. They do it because they want to. Um, those that like it and tell their parents they like it and they want to continue, 
I encourage those parents to encourage those students to go through the boring part. It's like when you're learning an instrument, the scales are not fun. That is boring, but you have to work through that to get to the fun part. And those that love it, get that. Those that like it need to be encouraged to go through it so they can get to the love part. I love that because not maybe I like that. I'm not sure if I like that or love that, but I'm relating to that because that's I think where I'm coming at because I'm I seem to be all gray area uh, around this. And when I think about like I was very hard to motivate, and I remember a couple of my teachers in grade five and even grade eight and grade nine saying, you know, I just can't get through to Karen. Like, I don't know, like there's more there and I can't get it out of her. And my mom was friends with my grade five teacher because my mom was a teacher as well. And I remember she told me later that they had this conversation and it wasn't until um, another group of kids in my class were writing and essentially producing these really elaborate plays and they got me into that so it was like the arts we had music dancing singing acting we wrote the scripts we did all costumes we did all of that stuff and just for fun like it wasn't even a project it was just something that we did over lunchtime because there was nothing else to do at lunchtime and uh and after i got involved with that all my other academic areas started to flourish. And so that was kind of an interesting thing for me. But if you would have framed it as motivation or said, you're just not motivated, Karen, how can we get you motivated? I would have just been checked out. How do we know if we're motivated internally versus externally? It's when you, want, when you want to do something, when your kids want to do something, when your students, they want to do it. When the reward is doing the activity or achieving the goal that you had prop, maybe privately in your heart, uh, then that is, that's all internal. And to me, internal motivation is something that lights you up, like something that you feed off of and feel alive and aligned and on purpose with, and that you can get lost in a state of flow. Some people are more definitely have a grew up in a culture where that is is there. There's a, there's a drive. There's a certain um, environment that cultivates that. So you see the drive to be something like your mom's a university student, and you know you're going to go to university, and that's just your only path. And you don't pick up a drill. You never pick up a screwdriver ever. So the only thing you know is to go that way. But you're really motivated to do that. Or maybe the reverse. You have a different house and you have the house that says, well, you know what? You need to be able to do a certain task and be able to do certain everyday things as a motivation. And then you grow up in that and you become internally motivated to go, yeah, I've got this. The truck's a little bit older or the car's going to be okay or something's going to go out. I'll be able to take care of that versus um, I don't have that skill. So there's definitely an environmental factor, which would be your external motivation, although that's a practice situation right you see the practical aspects of it then you practice it and eventually much like meditation you get good at it and be able to um, own yourself out of things so to speak i like that own yourself like out of things <laughs> well it's a lot of times I, I look at that you know i'm thinking what chad was talking about that one of the key things i i strive to keep my stress down is to be able to power myself down Often people call it a cat nap, that kind of thing. 
And if you're going, 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 and you've got coffee in your system, and eventually all the stimulants, which is the external motivator, external pusher or whatever, um, can't push you any further, you need to power down so you can get yourself a quick cat nap and you're good to go for the next eight hours or whatever, right? So for being able to get into that zone takes that practice, just like that motivation. You know, you, you're motivated to keep going, so turn yourself off for 10 minutes and then come back out 10 or 15 minutes later, you're ready to go. And then you're like, yes, okay, let's go. It's sunny. Let's make it happen, right? Um, I was actually going to thank Chad at the beginning when you were talking about motivation. Um, and I think Ashley talked about her child not being motivated to do the homework. Um, I don't believe that we should be expecting children, students, anybody to have motivation for math for science, for socials, for every single class that they're taking. Each teacher wants that, but I don't feel that it's fair to expect our youth, our children, to be motivated in every class they're in, in every activity they're in, that they're not going to love everything. There's going to be things that they have to do. The teachers will try to motivate them, but you're not going to find anybody who's 100% motivated in everything they do. That's, it's too much. Yeah, I think that's an expectation on a lot of kids where they go, they got to have straight A's. I know like my grades, like I was a C minus or I was like B's and A's. Like there was no real in between. It's either I was in and doing well in a course or I wasn't doing well at a course at all. And really it ultimately came down to my, my level of interest. A lot of it came down to level of interest of teachers too that affected it but you know that's a really really good point and you know we want them to have a base understanding but do they really got to love that subject not necessarily no and i and i did like you know the talk and hearing what people about intrinsic motivation like intrinsic motivation comes down to me is one simple thing which is does it feel good and you know that's one thing i don't think we say to kids enough i'm just like hey you just finished that how did that feel did that feel good and instead we give them cupcake we give them you know uh the trip to mcdonald's after a game we give them some sort of electronic device after they get their straight a's but you know do we tell them hey you worked really hard that must have felt really good and and that's how we foster intrinsic motivation and i really liked what lee said about culture and i really wonder as a culture are we really developing intrinsic internal motivation of our young people um Ooh, because of that's a good one all the things we're giving them and I, I thought that was really an interesting point that lee talked about when he when he mentioned culture and you know whether it's the culture at school whether it's the culture at home whether it's just the culture of our society and electronic devices and how everything is so instant that we've we're slowly taking away that internal motivation to accomplish things just i don't know i'm just it threw would me be for a whirl there and now it got me thinking 
Yeah, it would be really interesting to talk about what motivation looks like from a common Western perspective or common for us, Western, Western perspective versus an Indigenous perspective, because I'll bet you there's even potentially different words and different ideas that are wrapped up in that. I don't know if Lee's prepared to talk about that or wants to talk about that today. It's totally okay to talk about it. We're at our name renaming committee for one school that we have around here. But they kept coming up with a bit of a bump. And what that bump would look like or sound like was trying to trying to get rid of place names and person's names and, and you're whittling it down to so the board can make their big decision about what they're going to do. In regards to a name, what I'm getting to is the fact that you're trying to take a place, which is commonly in indigenous culture, is not given a name per se, even though it looks like a name. It's a description. And in that description, you could, when you say the word, it actually has a longer meaning. For instance, blackfish. In English, it's called killer whale, or it's called orca, and because for a scientific name. But for us, it's very much called a blackfish because that's literally what it looks like. And when you see it, go, oh, okay, I got it. So there's a description right there. In regards to motivation, well, there's another one, which is we take things a little bit slower versus the mainstream society, which is driven. And much Chad, Chad referred to that getting A's and getting your 3.9s, which keyed in my head. Okay, you have, you're driving, you're driving, you're motivated externally, internally to get those 3.9s, those 4.0s. But as soon as you get to, let's say, UBC, guess what? You're all in the same kindergarten class again. We as human beings need physical space and emotional space, reflective space, uh, to be able to allow, we are all creative beings, we're all creative in different ways, but we're all creative beings, but to allow that creativity to rise forth. And, uh, and motivation is very much, I think, attached to creativity in how you're approaching things. It's having that space, and that's one thing that I think the Western culture is really missing, is that we're just like, go, 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 move to the next activity. What's the next thing? What's the next thing on the schedule? I, I agree with you with space. As, as a choreographer, I do not do well in a room with four walls. That's <laughs> the least uh, creative space for me. Uh, most of my most of my best creative pieces have been when I've been on vacation. Mm. And I just get my my headset in. I go find a space. I've been on a cruise ship away pre COVID um, with my music in an area, and that's been the most rewarding and creative dances that have come from being in spaces like that. So, to agree with you a hundred percent there. I think it was Chad or Lee that was um, speaking about this, about grades. Uh, and I found that really interesting because in my son's class, when he was in elementary school, uh, the grade four, grade five, a number of the kids were getting paid for their A's. And we kind of went, well, do we really agree with that? Should we be doing that? How come everybody in his class is doing this? So should we jump on ship? So we did jump on ship on board, I guess. He liked it, um, but I, I didn't feel it really motivated him. It motivated him to go to school and say how much money they have, but it, I don't really feel it motivated him to do well. What I did find this year when he came home, 
and this is now after a couple of years of not paying him, he came home with his report card and I didn't even look at the grades. The first thing that was written on it was that he was focused in class. And I looked at him and told him how proud I was and how this has been the best report card he's ever got. And he said, well, I didn't get a lot of A's, mom. I only got, I only got like three A's and I didn't do well. And he started focusing on what he did not do well in. And I turned it around and said, buddy, this first line on there that says you were focused is better than any A, better than any A you could get. And I think letting him know that was better than money because he realized, oh, you're right, mom. I'm doing a lot better. I like my teacher. I am enjoying school better. And I said, yeah, because there's not the expectations. You're working hard because you want to. And it was like a light bulb went off. And I think a lot of times the kids, they all start talking to each other and the parents are pay paying for A's. So they're coming home expecting that that's what we want, even though this isn't what we've taught at home. But because that's what's being talked about at school, he now feels that that's what we expect. So I did have to talk about what our expectations were at home. Our expectations are you to try your best. You now work hard, try your best, do your homework, do what you can do. And if you have, you know, problems and challenges, which they all do, ask for help. Kathleen, that's awesome that you brought that up because, you know, as a teacher and I'm just like, oh, that's awesome that a parent is praising their kid for being focused because ultimately like whatever course that was in, focus is a transferable skill that transcends everything that child is going to do in their life. So when we look at like focus, like it doesn't matter if it was math, it doesn't matter if it was basketball, focus is that transferable skill that's going to be the most important thing he takes forward anywhere he goes. So like- well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that that was one of the things he's never had. He's always had a challenge focusing for any length of time. So that's why I did say, make a big deal of it. It's so many of the others and so many of my report cards also said would do better if you focused and weren't talking with others. So for that to have changed and improved so much, that was huge. So now we go back to the motivating factor, external, internal. Um, we just had an excellent example of somebody whose environment was different and very much not driven on the fact that they need to get the 4.0. They have to work on those small intrinsic things that they need for their day-to-day -day life for the transferable, as Chad said, right? That's an amazing example. I have to tell you, working with youth and teenagers and young adults, one of the things that I think is the most detrimental to their overall mental health is their extreme attachment to results and their extreme fear of failure to the point where it cripples them. So like an example we were talking about earlier, Lee, you're talking about, you know, being in UBC, for example, and you're again in kindergarten, you're a small fish in a big ocean now versus the big fish in the small pond. 
and you know going to school and i know um the bc curriculum has been changing and i and i'm liking a lot of the changes that i'm seeing with sort of the 21st century learning and all of that it's it's different than it used to be um with the rote learning and and sort of repeating skills in the world we're preparing our kids for especially now after this pandemic is a lot different um, but what I'm seeing with a lot of the kids I work with, and I, and I work with them from the time they're about grade 10 and often into like some of my kids are graduating university and I'm still connected with them now. And they are crumbling when it comes to what they experience as failure. Like if they're not getting a perfect grade in UBC or at, at um, in university, they haven't had the chance to build resilience to understand that failure or not being instantly great at something um, can build your character, can build your creativity, can build your grit. And they're expecting to do what they've always done and to get that A and to like, you know, get their $100 per A or, you know, whatever it is that, that parents are paying. And they don't know what to do with themselves when they're not achieving it or when their um, all of their tricks or their training isn't actually delivering the result that they want anymore for that new environment. Like you say, Chad, things aren't always transferable. And so the mental health deteriorates. The, a lot of the kids that I worked with, and it's not all of them, I want to be very clear, but in the most extreme cases, I've had young people who become suicidal because they aren't experiencing the success that they used to get and the praise that they used to get from that success. They've got no other skills to manage those types of feelings because they've always had this straight path with all of these um, rewards. And they think, okay, well, I'm worthless now because all of these, this praise and these awards and the, these accolades I was getting aren't there anymore. So what else do I have to work for? What else is important? What else is of value? And that's a real, real concern for me. And, and another one is, um, and I noticed this in my kid, and again, 14, <laughs> you know, that's a fun age. Um, but we'll ask him to do something. He'll be like, okay, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> what do I get? Are you going to, okay, if I do that, then you owe me. And I'm like, I owe you? <laughs> But it's this whole thing, like, what are you going to give me? Like, I'll only do it if there's something in it for me. And, and again, finding that internal motivation versus that external. And that could be our bad, where I think we've given a lot of praise for results in at certain points in time. And I think we've sort of conditioned this expectation that there's always a reward for something, some effort that's given. And the reward where you like, where the individual benefits, not about the satisfaction of meaningfully contributing to your family or your group. And I think that's going back to some of that discussion we were having before about uh, Western ways versus traditional ways in that uh, colonialism was very much about one person benefiting. Capitalism is very much about one or two or a specific group benefiting and somebody else doesn't benefit because another group does benefit. So, and we're, and we're so, so many of our ideas are built around capitalism and colonialism and, and like, that's how a whole Western society is set up. But I feel like we're getting to a place now where we're seeing the damaging effects of that and, you know, certainly massive devastation to our Indigenous traditional uh, communities, uh, but it's even hurting 
Western people. <laughs> Colonialism is even hurting Western people. Yeah, Ibram X. Kendi. So he was talking about how it's like it's raining on everybody, black, brown, white, everybody. And now the white people are just noticing that they're getting rained on. <laughs> And so we're waking up to the way that uh, that colonialism has negatively affected all of us now, uh, but not to minimize how it's extremely negatively affected uh, Indigenous communities. But yeah, it was the um, Akita thought came up on a couple of CBC podcasts that were talking um, because it's Black History Month now because just of that, but things like the COVID has brought so much stuff bubbling to the surface so much like when you what's that word you term when you um, when you're cooking and you put some ingredients together and you want to burn off the liquid so you're left with a, a, a residue or something left over that makes a base what do they call that what's that reduction thank you so what has come forward through COVID stuff and COVID times and everything that's related to that is the reduction of all the fluff and the stuff put in the background and the, the, the very pointed focus of where we would normally traditionally, and not so much these days because of colonialism, referring back to Karen's word there and her connection to it, that we would take care of our elders and everybody's okay, why are you taking care of all indigenous elders? Okay, that makes sense. But yet right now, the common mainstream population has it brought forward into their faces that we have all these old folks from the mainstream culture of European of European descent, all their folks that they put into homes have been brought forward to the forefront of our attention. Like you haven't been taking care of them. What's in it for me has been brought forward as opposed to what's in it for the community. Where, how are we gonna take care of our old folks and we're gonna put them into a box and, and not think about them. But now, COVID has brought that forward as being a non-community driven effort. I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna phrase that differently. It's showing how much of a lack of community we have in a mainstream society and not taking the cues from, let's say, our South Asian community, which has a very large family base and are attached to each other or indigenous community where we know our aunties. There's even jokes on TikTok and you know, you can tell your aunties around because they know the kind of aunties that are around there. Cause like there's bunches of them and aunties are always the advocates within the family. They protect the children. They speak up for the elders. They're always pushing and, and, and moving and making things happen. So going forward, the fact that mainstream society has put away their elders and their old folks and, and and now it's come to the forefront that the result is now they're dying now what's the motivation now okay so you had motivation of what's in it for me and the result is well we have a problem so how are we going to change that how are we going to reframe that and repurpose that and redirect all our youth to go beyond that you know what's in it for me how about it what's in it for your family want to just do it for the family because you know what, today, mom, I'm going to go take the garbage out. Why did you do that? Because I'm part of the family. I would That's love awesome. to yeah. hear those words. You know, I, I have to kind of jump because Ashley and Lee, you guys are making two massive connections for me. Like I know, Ashley, you were talking about your students that, you know, are struggling to cope because now they're at university and they can't get A's. Lee, you're talking about 
our elderly populations right now. And I'm just like, how do we look almost at motivation when we're looking at this and the disconnect to emotions? I don't know if we are emotionally disconnected to motivation because when I look at motivation, I'm really thinking about how do we feel? Like, are we feeling good about what we're doing? Are we feeling good about how we're treating our elders? Are we feeling good about that feeling we got when we put in that hard work to get whatever grade it is? Uh, you know, that is something that I, I jumps out at me a lot, just listening to you too, because that is something I'm trying to really instill in my children is like, hey, how did that feel after you did that? And making sure like, you know, I think everybody cringes. I said, okay, let's go exercise, everybody. And everybody's like, oh man, it's going to be hard. But how many people would say after they finished exercising, oh, that really felt good. I'm really glad I put in that half an hour. But we would all drag ourselves to get out the door, but we all know we'd feel good afterwards. And are we really connecting to that feeling afterwards? Like, you know, it feels good to sit down and read that book. If, you know, instead of making it a chore, it feels good that the house is a little cleaner because we took out the garbage or we did the dishes. I, I just really want to make motivation and emotions connected here because I think you guys are really connecting some really cool areas there. I was actually going to say something about when, when I really realized why so many students and so many kids were expecting something um, as opposed to being proud that they were able to do something. And because I, I, I did sports when I was younger, but they were not com competitive sports, but I was a competitive performer and, and dancer. Um, and when I was a competitor, we had to put in hours and hours and hours and hours of hard work before you were even able to go onto a stage or do an exam, the same thing in music. You don't just pick up an instrument um, twice and then get to perform on a stage. But I have students that come into my classes who are in sports and they do one lacrosse practice or one soccer practice or one basketball practice, uh, one lacrosse practice. And then on Saturday, they're in their first game. Some of them don't even know the rules of the game, but they're in that game. And after that game, they get a freezy or they get something. The whole team gets rewarded for showing up. And that was a huge light bulb that went on because I'm teaching these kids that you, know, you actually have to work and I'm trying to teach and educate the parents. That, well, no, we won't be going into competition for a full year because you have to train and work up to that. And if they've come from a sport background, they say, well, no, like in the season, we're, we're gonna do this dance for one season. So shouldn't we hit like four or five competitions? And I, I was trying to teach that you have to work towards it. You have to learn, you have to train your body, you have to train your mind, you have to train. <laughs> to be able to get the reward to actually even go on to a stage. 
but there didn't seem to be the connection with sports that you have to work hard, you have to learn the game, you have to earn, you, you have to earn the, the chance to go to a game. It was just, you get to do it and you get a treat afterwards. And quite often a very unhealthy treat. <laughs> I was gonna say for me, the game when I played sports or the tournament or the competition, that was my motivation. That's why I went to practice and busted my butt because I was so excited to be in that tournament or you know, just the camaraderie, the energy, um, that teamwork, that was so much fun for me. But oh my gosh, like running lines, like doing drills, like getting up so early in the morning before school to practice or Sunday night practices. I, I despise that. It was terrible. But something that, I, that I'm thinking about too when we talk about a skill, and I talk about this with the youth I work with a lot, is action determines our motivation. Our motivation isn't Sorry, our motivation doesn't determine our action. We have a visitor. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this is the small one. Hi. <laughs> um, and, and speaking of which, with, with this one, I think when those moments when I can catch her doing something that she loves and then help her pay attention to what that feels like in her body. And I gave that example the other day. And again, we learn, I think, Kid number two is always a little bit easier to sort of have insight than kid number one. But yeah, I was just sharing the story of the, the other day when um, she made a little package and a card for our neighbor. And she was so excited. She made it. She walked right out the door. <laughs> Didn't even say, I'm going to do this. She just did it and drew, or went outside, dropped it at the door, rang the doorbell, and then came back home with like the biggest smile on her face. Like I could feel the energy like exploding out of her body, the joy. And she didn't even stay and watch her open it. She didn't even, it wasn't about the result. It wasn't about the present and, or the card or whatever the person's reaction was. I think, you know, she was hoping for it, but it was, she wanted to do it. She did it. She felt motivated to do it. And so we just stopped and took a moment and, and tried to pay attention to how that felt in her body and how great that felt. And, and that was, that was the experience rather than, oh, did she like it? Oh, like, did she, um, did she smile or now is she going to give you something because you gave her something that wasn't part of the conversation at all and again kid number two a lot easier or well not a lot easier <laughs> let's be real about that but um just you know more insight with time to see the results of of how it all um unfolds and then I was going to say one more thing sorry I'm just the one other thing that I'm when we talk about motivation internal versus external one thing that really, really concerns me is the whole brain structure that's involved in internal versus external and the different hormones and neurotransmitters that are released and how our brains are shifting because of this external reward system, this instant gratification system that our brain is becoming accustomed to, particularly after this pandemic, but this generation, everyone's got a device. And it really is like a pacifier for a lot of our, our young people. I like that analogy. I, I love that. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can see the activity. If you scan an adolescent brain and you see them playing these games, which are designed to, to, ha or to uh, promote addictive behavior, the hormone release in the brain, the parts of the brain that it's stimulating, it's 
perpetuating more and more and more. And it's almost like those cookies for the brain, that dopamine instant or pleasure center. And it needs to be replenished constantly. It always is needing a reward. So you want your kid, I love Chad, you're talking about like, let's go exercise as a family. If I said that in my house, yes, we'd probably get some resistance too. And part of what I think it is, is that a lot in the brain, like like exercise would be reducing a lot of serotonin in our bodies, which is a slower burn pleasure chemical where our brain is experiencing pleasure after hard work and that satisfaction after completing something that takes a more sustained effort. That takes more time than the instant like, boom, I'm going to go play my game right now and I'm going to blow up like 10 cities and get that like big instant gratification of this big instant reward for my efforts. And so this training of the mind of the brain, scrolling TikTok, scrolling Snapchat, me too, right? Pinterest, I love Pinterest, um, scrolling Instagram or Facebook. It's like that constant um, cookie for the brain with the, br- the way the brain is shaping itself in terms of those rewards. So when we start to introduce activities and start encouraging and trying to foster this internal motivation, I feel that the battle is so much bigger because of these competing factors of these instant sort of gratification um, activities that our kids are constantly, constantly doing. You know, I know I have my classes doing presentations next week, so I'm trying to get them to rehearse to do a presentation. And most of them are like, well, I'll just rehearse it in my head. No, but you have to stand up in front of a classroom. You actually need to speak this presentation out loud before you do it. And getting them to constantly go through a rehearsal process and then at the end of it, letting them know that this is going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. It's not necessarily going to be easy, but once you do it, everybody, it's going to feel good. It's going to feel good to put in that hard work and have that sense of accomplishment at the end and trying to get them to realize that's why I'm doing all of this practice. You know, we almost treat children like they're made of glass, you know, and I, I still remember, you know, the midwife going over the baby, like, you know, you can kind of be a little bit rough with the baby there. You don't have to like, as a guy holding a child for the first time, I'm just like, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it. And they're like, no, you can kind of bend them this way and bend them that way to change the diaper. You know, they're pretty, they're resilient. They're going to bounce back. And I think we, we think we look at children, we think they're made of glass, but they're not like they're, they're going to be resilient through this COVID-19 pandemic. They're going to come out on the other side and are we going to make sure that they come out on the other side stronger? Like that is my hope. That's my belief. So we can't treat them like glass, like, you know, failure. Once again, I know it's been said a few times, like it's, it's a good thing. It's a learning experience. It's so important to have those, those challenges. There was a lot of stuff packed into there today. Lots of things around connecting to feeling, being aware of what's motivating us. And can we learn intrinsic motivation in an instantaneous culture? Do we have to love everything that we're doing? And of course, noticing when it feels good. That was part one of two 
Part two is actually what was supposed to be our lightning round, but as you figured out by now, we are not people of a few words. We are people of many words. So our lightning round ended up being like a slow sunrise at summer solstice instead of being a lightning round. So that's it for this episode. Please join us for our next episode and find out what our top tips or nuggets, as we like to call them, are on connecting to motivation in our families 